This is a presentation of LifePoint Church. Our mission is to make gospel-centered disciples of Jesus Christ. For more information, please visit sharethelife.org. 1 Peter 3, verses 13 through 17. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. This is the day that we're wrapping up, as Craig said, this series called Love Your Neighbor. And this is a very intentional series that's placed here uh, right leading up to Easter time because we want to position ourselves as a church to be ready to love our neighbors well so that we can invite them to hear about this incredible hope. You guys, Jesus was resurrected from the dead and they got to know about it. They got to know. So we're excited about that. That's why we're doing this series. We think it's important, it's vital that we love our neighbors well. And, and in this series, uh, we focused on, on this question. What if, what if we took the great commandment seriously, like really, truly seriously to love our neighbors? What if we took that seriously? You know, this week we're talking about overcoming our fears, especially with regards to how we love our neighbors and, and with neighboring. Um, I think if, if, we're, if we're honest uh, and, and if, we, if we really, you know, try to answer this question, well, what would it look like? What if, what would happen if we took this great commandment seriously? If we do this, I want you to know that you're going to encounter difficulty at some point. <laughs> if we take the great commandment to love our neighbors seriously, we will encounter real, even unjust suffering as a direct result of our God-first priorities. It's going to happen. That's why we're talking about fear today. You know, the scriptures call this kind of suffering, suffering for righteousness' sake. We saw that in our passage. It was just read. And I believe that if, if we're honest, our unchecked tendency, our natural response when we encounter suffering of any kind, and I think this is part of just the human condition, but maybe especially for those of us who live in this day and age at this time, maybe even here in this place, when we, when we encounter this kind of suffering, our unchecked tendency is, is to step back. We, 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 even, we, we want to distance ourselves from it. We may even have fear of whatever it is that is making us suffer. We don't press into that suffering very often, do we? Now, I want to be fair and say that our fear is justified. <laughs> it truly is. Especially today, there is good reason for, for feeling this kind of fear. So I hope you don't feel me trying to like, like talk down to us or put us down for feeling this fear. Our polarized society that, that tends to regard unknown people as strangers instead of neighbors, this society, it's cultivated our current cultural moment. And in this moment, if, if you express the wrong kind of opinion in the wrong place, you will suffer for it. 
You know, we, you've heard the term probably cancel culture thrown around. If you say the wrong thing in the wrong place, uh, you run a very real risk of getting canceled. And, and just newsflash, some of God's priorities, some of, some of the things that matter to the heart of God, those are things that, that our world will not respond well to. So when we talk about the fear of man, I want you to know it's a justified fear because, because if, if you press into this, I mean, the, the results can be huge. I mean, we're talking job loss. We're talking the possibility of social isolation. I mean, if we really press in, this, our, our current cultural moment just simply is not all that interested in entertaining different and divergent ideas beyond what happens to be politically correct. So our fear is justified right now. And friends, this, this is not an accident. <laughs> and it shouldn't be a surprise and so if, if you feel as you think about this and think about what, what kind of tension you felt in your workplace as a, as a follower of Jesus and wondering like, golly, how do I, how do I even open my mouth in this place without, without you know, reprisal here, um, we should just take a deep breath and know that this, this should come as no surprise. Jesus exposed the plan of the enemy. In John 10, 10, he said, the thief, he comes to steal to kill and to destroy. He goes on to say, but I've come that you may have life and have it to the full. And that's the good news. But the reality is there is an intentional effort on behalf of evil to try to steal and kill and destroy. And, and anyone who's following Jesus, we're the targets of that. Anyone who's created in the image of God, we're the targets of that. Anybody who, who has the possibility of hearing the good news of Jesus, the enemy wants to steal and kill and destroy and keep that from happening. This should be no surprise. It's simply how the world works, and there is a battle out there. Jesus warned his disciples. He said, you will suffer. If you follow me, I have eternal life for you, and between now and then, um, it's, it's going to get hard. So this, none of this should be any su surprise. Our fear is justified. Um, have a great day. <laughs> We're not going to stop there. Uh, but, you know, I just want to take a minute before we dive into our text today to review a little bit as we, as we acknowledge, because I think if, if we're honest, the idea of truly engaging our neighbors deeply and especially doing that in a way that shines a light on Jesus and the glory of God, it, it's scary for us. And we have a fear and our fear is justified. And so um, I, I want to, in light of that, look back on where we've been the last few weeks. Week one, two weeks ago. We looked at the, the gospel according to Luke, and, and we looked at this account where he had this exchange with a, a, a scribe or a lawyer, and in that exchange, they established the greatest commandment. It's very clear. In this great commandment, it's like one tree that sort of has two branches. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. They established this, and then this, this, this scribe, this lawyer, he, he asked a funny question. Um, he said, well, Jesus, okay, that's great. That's, I inherit eternal life. I do those things. All right. Um, but just tell me, who's my neighbor? <laughs> which people can I love, and which people can I just 
not worry about? <laughs> it's, it's an interesting question. And, and he was, the text tells us that, you know, he, this was not a, a question with, with pure motives that he asked. He was, he was really trying to justify himself. And Jesus responded to this question by sharing the, the famous parable, the Good Samaritan. And I just, you know, Jesus is so brilliant. He's, that shouldn't surprise us either. Um, I, I just love that he, he responds to the question of who is my neighbor, not by answering the question and telling the man, you know, you know who his neighbor is. You know, he effectively answers the question by saying you is the neighbor, all right? He answered the question the man should have been asking. He answered the question, how can I be a godly neighbor? How can I be the kind of neighbor that truly loves the Lord, my God, with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength? He answers that question by, by laying out the parable of the Good Samaritan. He describes a godly neighbor. And if, if, if we take the great commandment seriously to love our neighbors, we will be this kind of godly neighbor, the kind of neighbor that, that, that is committed to serving the people that God places in our path. Our literal neighbors, that's, that's this. You got, your, you got your magnet? I hope you do. Sharpie works on here pretty well. Use that. Uh, learn your neighbor's names to love your literal neighbors. You got to know who they are, so grab this tool. We got some more in the back if you need it. We, we need to be committed to serving the people God places in our path, in our literal neighborhood. And then, you know, as he described in the parable of the Good Samaritan, on our, just the journeys of our days, we are going to encounter people that a godly neighbor will love well. And not just, not just with like, a, like an emotional, oh man, that, that guy, uh, he looks like he's, he's, he's in bad shape. But, but Jesus describes a godly neighbor as somebody who loves with, with graciousness and generosity and sacrifice. And, and, and it's this love that's not bound up by our, our social or political or ethnic or economic norms. I mean, he, he gave this illustration and, and illustrated what a godly neighbor looks like by using a Samaritan man. For goodness sake, the Samaritans. He's, he's talking to, to all these, these people who were, who were sort of the spiritual elite of the time, and they regarded Samaritans as being inferior, both spiritually and ethnically, and Jesus used that, pointed to that as, here's what a godly neighbor can look like. So we have this idea from week one that if we take the great commandment to love our neighbors seriously, we will, we will behave in this way. We'll respond to needs in this way. I've got a question for you as we consider this, this fear factor of, within our neighboring. If you knew that your efforts were guaranteed to be received well, what would you do to love your neighbors? If like a burning bush appeared and, 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 and said to you, Linda, if no matter what you do to love your neighbors right now, you can do anything and, 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 and I will work by my Holy Spirit and make your efforts to be received well today. They will be received well. What would you do if God removed that fear? If you have something to write with, I actually want to invite you to start writing some things down right now. If your efforts were guaranteed to be received well, what would you do to love your neighbors? If you knew it wouldn't create that awkward moment that you're afraid of, 
If you knew you wouldn't get canceled and they, would tur- they wouldn't turn their back on you every time they saw you mowing your lawn, if you knew that your efforts would be received well, what would you do to love your neighbors? As you write down some ideas, some things, I love dreaming like this. Like, like if, if, God, <laughs> if God really made this, made this work, what, what could we do? Um, let's look to last week, week two in this series. We continued in Luke's account here, and we talked about how Luke, he, right after the parable of the Good Samaritan, he pulled something out of chronological order, and he wanted, he wanted his readers to, to then see the account of Martha and Mary when Jesus showed up at their home to teach. And you remember that. You know that account? Martha's cooking in the kitchen, and she needs help with the jalapeno poppers. And Jesus is, like, in the living room, and he's teaching, and Mary's there. And, and Martha gets all kind of upset that, that, that her sister's not helping. And she goes, and she kind of gives Jesus the riot act here. And is like, hey, aren't you going to have her help me? And, um, you know, do you remember Jesus' response? Jesus established this principle that we need to have the priorities of God's kingdom first. And so we talked last week about uh, the reality that we need kingdom, our, 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 if we're going to have kingdom priorities, we need kingdom calendars. If we take the great commandment seriously, we have to make space in our calendar. I'm curious, how many of you filled out your kingdom calendar this week? Anybody do this? I, I see those hands. Awesome. And Zach invited us to, to just record how we spend our time because if you don't know what's on your calendar, it's hard to make, make it you know, conform to God's kingdom priorities. And there's some questions you can go through and answer. I want to encourage you to do that. So we talked about kingdom priorities and kingdom calendars. If we take this great commandment seriously, we have to be intentional to set these priorities within the space of our days and our time and our hours. This means letting Jesus reorder the priorities of both our heart and our hands. This means we need to let Jesus shape who we love and who we serve and how we love and how we serve. And so my question for you with regards to last week as we look back and think about how fear trips us up, if you had no time constraints, none, what would you do to love your neighbors well? And I'm a detail guy, so I get caught up in like, well, that couldn't work because I got to, you know, do this and that and take care of, you know. So like, let's just like imagine like there's, you have a week where someone's going to clean the house for you and they're going to cook for you and they're going to go to work for you. They're going to go to school. They're going to do your homework. They're going to hang out with your kids in meaningful time and you know, all this stuff. And, and you were freed. You had no time constraints except maybe 24 hours in a day. What would you do to love your neighbors well? Just dream a little bit. Write a few things down. I think if, if we're not careful, we can allow our fears about the stuff that we let into our calendar and our fear of, of man with regards to how we speak about our faith to our neighbors. We can allow our fear to stunt our thinking, to keep us from dreaming and praying big prayers about what God can do as we love people. So I want us to be thinking about this as we turn to our scripture today. Open up 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 to 17. This is a good week to be looking at your text. I'll have a few few pieces of verses highlighted as we go through here, but I encourage you to open your Bible, have it open. And, And as we go there, our big question today is this. As we become godly neighbors, how do you overcome the fear of man? 
How do you overcome this fear of man as we try to grow in being godly neighbors? And I think as disciples of Jesus and, and here, especially at LifePoint, we really value starting and staying with, with Scripture. And so when we have a big question like this, like how do I overcome this fear as I try to be a godly neighbor, we gotta go to the Word of God and this is a great passage to go to with this question. So as we, as we look at this, I want to give you a little context first. Um, this, this, this book was written by a guy named Peter. That's why it's called First Peter. It's actually it's a letter or an epistle you might hear. Uh, some people describe a, a letter in the New Testament like this. And, and he sent this to an area, like a broad area. If you look at chapter 1, verse 1, you can see the, the ancient countries, areas, and, and regions he listed where he sent this. But he sent this to the believers who were dispersed, to the dispersion. Uh, and they were kind of scattered throughout an area that is, is similar to uh, modern-day Turkey. So he sent this to a lot of people. So we know that this is, that this is instruction that is, is good for, for a variety of different circumstances. And Peter, especially, as we look at the question we're, we're entertaining today, I think he's especially suited to address this fear of man because he was no stranger to that fear. <laughs> if you go back through and dig through the Gospels and you see what he did, he, he's an interesting guy. He's, he, he seemed fearless. You know, he's the one who stepped out of the boat and walked on water with Jesus. That's pretty cool. Um, but boy, he also was afraid, he wasn't afraid of the, the, way, the, the ocean and walking on water, at least initially, but when it came time to stick his neck out for his rabbi, his, his, his Messiah, Jesus, he denied him famously three times the night that Jesus was betrayed. The fear of man gripped his heart so badly he pretended like he'd never met Jesus. Yet, Jesus still chose Peter to establish his church. So if you look at this guy, we can see that there's hope. Um, and, and as we look at this passage, you can see a quick scan from the reading that um, it assumes that we're, we're doing what Jesus told us to do and acting like a godly neighbor. If you look at verses 13 and 14 and 16, uh, he's, he's, he's assuming that you're, you and I were behaving in a way that is zealous for what is good and marked by good behavior in Christ. And so he's assuming that we're, we're doing good things and we're doing it out of a desire to glorify God. And as we, as we look at this question here, how do we overcome the fear of man as we aim to become godly neighbors? The key text for this passage comes in verses 14 and 15. Look at this with me, verses 14 and 15. He says, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them. That's those who would cause you to suffer. Nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the, for the reason, for the hope that is in you. So we see in this key text here, there's really a two-part answer to this question. It's pretty clear. It's not rocket science. Our, and this is our big idea for today. If we are going to overcome the fear of man, we have to put Christ you have to put Christ on the throne of your heart and testimony on the tip of your tongue. That's what we need to do. If we want to overcome the fear of man as we aim to grow in, in being great neighbors, put Christ on the throne of your heart 
and testimony on the tip of your tongue. Now let's break this down and look at the first part of this. Part one here, the first section. Put Christ on the throne of your heart. Look at the second half of verse 14, the beginning of verse 15. He says, have no fear of them, of the people who cause you to suffer. Don't be troubled, but, or rather, instead of fearing them and being troubled by this suffering, instead, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Now, this wasn't new advice for them. In fact, he's, he's going to a deep well. He's, he's quoting what for them was a well-known passage in Isaiah chapter 8. And I'm going to read this. And look at, look at, look at what the text in, in Peter says. And you can see this. He's, he's, he's loosely quoting this, but he's taking it in the context now of Jesus. It was originally written in the context of the coming Assyrian invasion. And, and he's now applying this truth of, of how to handle fear in a way that honors God. But he's doing it in the context of where they're at now. Listen to what Isaiah says in chapter 8, verses 12 and 13. He says, do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. In other words, hey, don't be surprised by this. We know this is coming. It's not a conspiracy. You know it's coming. And do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. (laughs) Have no fear of them. Don't be troubled. But the Lord of hosts, him, you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. Peter is pointing them back to the prophet who said, hey, don't be afraid. We know this stuff is coming. God has told us about this. We know what's coming. Don't be afraid. And and what, what we need to do in order to overcome that fear, instead of allowing fear to take up residence in our hearts, in our souls, you, that's where you need to recognize that the Lord is holy. Put Christ on the throne of your heart. The command is to make a willful decision about what or who gets to reside in, in the seat of your thoughts and emotions in your heart. Who gets to push the buttons at the control center of your thoughts and emotions? It should be Christ. You know, this, this term here that, that Peter uses, he says, uh, honor as holy. He says you should honor Christ, the Lord, as holy. If you look at, look at these three words in the English, honor as holy, that all comes from one Greek word. And, it, and it's the Greek word for sanctify. It means set apart for, for a holy purpose. And, and it's the same word that Jesus uses when he teaches his disciples to pray. He says, our Father, who art in heaven, what? Hallowed be your name. Sanctified is your name. You are set apart. There is no one like you. And Peter is saying here, don't be afraid. And what you should do instead of fear, displace your fear with this sanctified, this set apart holiness of Jesus. I think it's interesting that Peter doesn't condemn the feeling of fear, but he instructs them not to allow the fear of man to occupy the holy ground of the seat of our heart, of our emotions, of our thoughts. That place is reserved for Jesus, for the Lord God Almighty. You know, we have this tendency, it's kind of ironic that we're looking at this um, in, in the context of a, a series in neighboring because 
we sometimes are better neighbors to our fears than our actual neighbors. <laughs> when fear knocks on your heart, on your mind, what do you do? <laughs> I think a lot of us, if we're honest, we, we embrace fear at the door. We find a comfortable place for it to sit somewhere in, the, in our inner being. We feed it. We feed our fears, don't we? We, we, we get the nice crackers out. <laughs> and we feed our fears with all kinds of worst-case scenario ideas and, 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 oh, woe is me, and, 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 and all this, like, this really self-focusedness. We, we tend to be very hospitable to our fears, don't we? We make sure they get comfortable on the couch. And, it, and it's, it's not just like the, the guest couch. This is like the comfy couch, the one you can't get up out of because it just kind of sucks you in. Like, we let the fear have that seat. I mean, in some ways, when we do that, it's almost like we're sanctifying our fears. We're, we're, we're letting, we're setting them apart to have that holy space in our inner being that gets to determine how we think and how we feel. But Peter, he says, no, no, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. When you encounter suffering, don't have fear. Instead, sanctify Christ as Lord. Let him dwell on the throne of your heart. Let him have that spot. Only he, only he is, is, is worthy of that place. We, we give fear a place that belongs to Jesus when we give it our attention and our focus. But only Jesus deserves the mental and emotional focus of our hearts and our souls and our minds. So we need, we need to put Christ on the throne of our hearts, don't we? Okay, let's look at the next part, part two. You need to put testimony on the tip of your tongue. Look at, look at the second half of verse 14 and the first half of verse 15 again here. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the, Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for the reason for your hope. You know, this, this command that he gives here, this is both one of the natural effects of, of letting Christ be in control and have the, the seat of, 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 of our heart, the throne in our heart, but it's also the how of keeping him there. <laughs> These two ideas are really deeply connected. And, and he says here, as he, as he goes through, you know, this testimony, this is not a self-defense for the positions and ideas that we have. Instead, it's a defense, it's an explanation for the hope that we have in Christ that should be marking our daily life so clearly that when people get to know you, when you're neighboring, you have them over for dinner and they just see how you live, they, it, it makes them stop and say, what is the deal? Where does this hope come from? You know, this means intentionally thinking about how the hope that you have in Jesus, in God, provides, that, that, that God gives us, that he provides to us, it means thinking intentionally about how that hope bears on the circumstances that you face day by day, the daily circumstances as you and I are being godly neighbors. You know, Peter's emphasis here is, is on two words, always and prepared. He says you need to always 
Be prepared to make a defense for anyone who asks you. Always be prepared. Put that testimony of what God has done in your life. It's got to be not like on a piece of paper as part of your church membership materials buried in in one of our file cabinets here. It's got to be right here on the tip of your tongue. You need to be ready to say it. Always be prepared. This word always, you could translate it as constantly or continuously. This is not something that happens once when you first trust Jesus. This is an ongoing thing. It's not occasional. It's not just for the mountaintops. It's not just for the, 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 the men's spring advance. It's, it's for every day. This is always, it's continuous. Always be prepared to do this, to give a reason for your hope, a defense for your hope. You know, Peter is shepherding them to see the value of of not just being able to share that hope, but constantly preparing for it. Because you know what? You may be the one who needs to hear it most. (laughs) God will give you opportunities. I'm convinced if we're faithful and godly neighbors, but day by day, you may be the one who needs to hear the testimony of what God has done in your own life day by day and the reason you can walk with hope. My friends, this is, this is like a, a command that bears fruit in your own life day by day and it prepares you for when you have the opportunity to respond to somebody's questions about where your hope comes from. How often are you prepared to explain in a reasonable way how the hope of Jesus bears on the circumstances of your daily life? How often? What if that became part of how we loved each other well around here? (laughs) What if part of the way we talked to each other was, Mark, why can you hope in Jesus today? What if that's how we, we, we started our conversations instead of asking, how was your week? What if, what if we asked each other about the hope so that, so that we could get in the habit of preparing to do this? He goes on, and, and, and this, is, this is kind of ironic, because, I mean, this is the guy who, who cut off the ear of the guard who came to arrest Jesus, remember? <laughs> I love it. He goes on to say, um, yet do this. <laughs> with gentleness and respect. You know, defend your faith. Defend, defend the reason for your hope with gentleness and, your, and respect. Don't cut their ear off. But instead, do this in a way that, that people, when they slander you, not if, but when, when they slander you, what happens? They feel ashamed because they realize, oh, this guy loves me. <laughs> this Samaritan loves me. He says, share with gentleness and respect. Gentleness, you know, this word, it means meekness. It's like a power that's under control. It's a choice to be gentle about how you share. It's, it's you know, as Peter could tell you, not cutting off the guy's ear. Um, this word respect, it could also mean reverence. And I love that he chose this word because when somebody asks you about the hope that you have, why do you think they're asking that question? Do you think it's because you're the awesomest neighbor around? That might be part of it. That's probably part of it. They're asking that question, you guys, because the Holy Spirit of God is working on them. (laughs) 
Their creator longs to spend eternity with them and he's trying to get through to them to help them know just how much he loves them. That question comes because of the work of God in them. And so Peter says, when they ask you that question, have, have gentleness for them. Don't cut their ear off. They won't be able to hear the word of God if they don't have ears. Jesus said that. And, and then, but he says, have reverence. It's like, look what God's doing that this person asked this question. Have some reverence for the work that God is doing in their life. Do you believe that God is working in the lives of your neighbors that seem so far from him? Friends, he is. His love is great and he is working in their lives. We are to give an answer in a way that has reverence for what God is doing in them. This is a vital posture of trust in the God who is working in their lives because he loves them. And when we do this, when we take a posture of gentleness and respect for somebody instead of the posture of our culture that cancels people that that they disagree with or are offended by or don't understand, when we take that posture it turns our suffering into an opportunity for God to do incredible work. Incredible work. So, how do we do this? How do we do this? If we're gonna, if, if, if we are truly gonna honor God in this, if, if, if we're gonna overcome our fears and put Christ on the throne of our hearts and the testimony of what he's done and the hope he's given us on the tip of our tongues, how do you do this? I want to invite you to a new daily practice. And maybe this isn't new. Some of you probably already do this. But I want to invite you to a daily practice. You know, this is, this is trying to, to be obedient to God's word that says to always be prepared to do this, constantly be preparing to speak to this hope, do this day by day. And so uh, this daily practice I want to invite you to, I want to invite you to start your day by opening your Bible and prayerfully answering two questions. The first question is this, what fears are gaining ground in my heart today? What fears are gaining ground in my heart today? What fears are trying to climb on the throne of your heart and get to that sacred space that should belong to Jesus? What fears are gaining ground in my heart today? Prayerfully, ask God to search you. He'll tell you. He's faithful. He knows you better than you do. (laughs) He'll reveal these things to you. Open up the word of God. Open your Bible in your, in your reading and ask this question with your Bible open and, 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 and welcoming the Holy Spirit to speak. The second question is, is this. Today in particular, why can I walk with Jesus in hope? Today in particular, why can I walk with Jesus in hope? And this one, I especially want to encourage you, answer this question with the Word of God. Open your Bible and search if, if, if you're having a hard time. You know, so maybe your answer to that question, the hope that you have, you look at Isaiah 41 and you say, I can have hope today because God promises to be my strength. And I need strength and, and I need more than I got today. 
Maybe you're going through something in your life right now. Maybe you are, 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 are going through unimaginable suffering and you're about to lose someone who's close to you that you love. Maybe today, the only reason you can take a step with Jesus in hope is, is knowing that the truth of the gospel, that, that Jesus is coming, that he is king, and he's, he's provided a way for eternal life and a kingdom that is coming for you to dwell in eternity with him. Maybe your only hope is, is there today because you're going through something that's so tough, so difficult. But today in particular, why can I walk with Jesus in hope? I want to invite you to do this. Make this a daily practice. Do this every day until it becomes a, a habitual way of thinking and praying and, and, and searching the Lord and inviting him to help you be prepared by placing Jesus on the throne of your heart and the testimony of what God's doing on the very tip of your tongue. Now, this is important. Um, this is important that, that we do this so that we are, are prepared for the opportunities to be godly neighbors. And, and I want to say this is important, you know, both on an individual basis, like each of us need to be prepared to do this, but this is also important on a broad uh, big picture when we talk about the, the, our communities and the church at large. And so uh, I just want to encourage you with, with a picture of what is happening right now, that w w what this can look like. We've got great partners uh, in our community over at Serve 6-8. And if you've been around here very much, you've probably heard about them. Serve 6-8 is a group of churches that together have said, we believe that when people have physical needs, you know, like that man that the Good Samaritan encountered perhaps, when they have physical needs, that, that we're called by God to help meet those needs, but we're called to do it in a way that allows us to speak and, and point them to Jesus. And in particular, Serve 6-8 says, says we're going we're gonna to focus our efforts and pool our resources so we can be really effective at meeting people's needs. And our aim, our goal, we know that ultimately people need to be connected to Jesus and the way that that happens according to God's plan is through his church. So their aim is to help people, but not just help people with, with food and job skills and, 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 you know, all this assistance that they offer in their resource centers, but they want to help people get connected to the church. They started as a response to some of the disasters that we've had in our area. And if you look at the statistics, we've actually endured uh, more disasters in our area over a, a, a period of time going back to like 2013 here in northern Colorado than almost any area in the country. It just happens a lot. And there was one right at the very end of December, you know, the big wildfire in Boulder County that came and it destroyed 1,100 homes. And Serve 6-8, they helped galvanize and mobilize the church. We were a part of that. We gave money. We helped. And, and, and they, they, through the church down there, are serving directly 460 of those 1,100 families are in direct relationship with the local churches in order to receive physical help that they need, uh, but this is coming from the hands and feet of people who are aiming to be godly neighbors. But you know what's amazing? And I don't know if you knew this. I, I had the chance to join a board meeting with Serve 6 a few weeks ago, and one of the things that we heard that was just incredible is, I, I didn't realize this, but the testimony of the churches in Boulder County, they said in, in the town of Superior proper, there's no church buildings. 
It's a, it's a town, it's a city that just has not been receptive to letting churches build buildings. And so all the church buildings around the outside of Superior, they can't get into the city. If there's a church in Superior, it's because they're meeting in an elementary school classroom or gym or something. Uh, but guess what, what happened with this fire? Their, their water supply has been contaminated, and it's going to be months before it's ready because all the ash and everything from this fire has messed up the, I don't know about how this stuff works, but it's messed up their water system. The town of Superior has been buying bottled water for drinking water to provide to its citizens. And they finally tapped out and said, we can't do it. We just can't. <laughs> we don't have the resources to keep providing drinking water. And Serve 6-8, through the local churches, said, we got this. Through your efforts and generosity here, they were able to, to help galvanize the churches there to give a gift, and, and they've stepped forward in partnerships with Convoy of Hope and all, all kinds of other places and donated warehouse spaces and trucks to truck this stuff down. The church is providing drinking water to the town of Superior for the next three months. How's that for neighboring? How is that for, for, for letting our good works be a tool for people to be connected to the church and the gospel? I share that because I want you to be prayerful about it. And I also want us to see the power when we embrace what God's word says about how we are to live as neighbors. This is big. This is big. You know, to wrap up today, if you look at the next verse in this passage, we see ultimately why we can respond as great neighbors together as the church and individually in the church. Verse 18 here, Peter says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh but made alive in the Spirit. My friends, our Savior suffered for us. <laughs> and, and today, as we consider how to be godly neighbors and we wrap up our focus here for these three weeks, it's only appropriate that we finish by putting our focus on our Savior, Jesus, who suffered on the cross in our place so that we could have life, we could have the kind of hope that helps people see the love of their God. Holy Father, you have, you have given us all that we need to walk with hope, <laughs> to set fear aside, and to live lives that point to the great love that you've expressed to us through Christ. I pray that as we remember your sacrifice today that you would give us courage to be godly neighbors. We thank you for the work that you have done. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. This has been a presentation of LifePoint Church. It is our greatest desire that every person would trust Jesus Christ as the leader of their lives and the forgiver of their sins. If you would like to make this decision today or find out more, please visit sharethelife.org.